Welcome to Craft of Code, a podcast brought to you by Linode that explores the stories of developers, entrepreneurs, and enterprises of all sizes from all over the world who share our mission to make cloud computing simple, affordable, and accessible to all. Welcome to the Craft of Code podcast. I'm your host, Mike Maney. We're speaking today with Richard Nelson. Richard built an amazing news aggregator that he runs for about the cost of a cup of coffee a day. Let's jump in. Welcome, Richard. Yeah, hi, Mike. Uh, happy to be here. Awesome. So talk to me a little bit about, um, about your background, about what drove you to build this news aggregator. And I guess, first of all, what is it? Yeah, so it's a, I'll start with briefly with what it is. It's a, basically a, a site that has a few components to it. Uh, it crawls news content from Australian news sources, um, aggregates them to make it into a giant searchable index and creates topics of interest, uh, ranks them on how popular the news articles are doing uh, and, and timeliness. Um, so it, it's basically a personal project that I built um, towards the beginning of this year. Um, when some of our larger news organizations in Australia uh, felt that Google and Facebook were, were benefiting too much from, from their news content. Uh, so, for example, on Facebook, um, people share news stories, obviously, which um, drives engagement on pages that, that Facebook serves ads on. Uh, and Google has ads on their, their search result pages, obviously. Um, so, long story short, and part of a law that was going to come into effect with that called News um, Media Bargaining Code, um, the companies ended up signing up with Google News Showcase, uh, where they have a commercial agreement um, with Google to provide news content. Um, at the same time, there was some commentary in Australia about Australians building their own search engine somehow. And, and I got thinking a bit and, and wondered how hard it could be to create a good search engine um, with Australian news content. Uh, I previously had some exposure to search engines when I worked at Yahoo for a while, um, and they had open sourced the search engine Vespa. Um, in 2017, and I'd wanted to, to play around with it ever since, and I thought this was a good opportunity to do so. Yeah, I think we, a lot of us, forget how much uh, how much really cool stuff came out of Yahoo and started uh, and inside Yahoo. Right, we everybody thinks about just Yahoo as the sort of that front end marketplace back in the day, and then all the other troubles that they had. But they did some amazing things there. Uh, even you know, I. I know a lot. A lot of my friends out there, and if Marshall Kirkpatrick is listening, will uh, will you know will remember fondly Yahoo Pipes. Yeah, yeah, Yahoo Pipes was great. That was that the, the um, back end for that YQL Plus has also been open source now. But um, yeah, Yahoo's open source some really really good software over the time. But I think Vespa is probably probably one of the top ones out there that I don't feel like it's got the fame that it deserves. It's a really really powerful powerful search engine. Um, I can talk a little bit to that that if if you're interested in it. Oh, I think I think everybody's going to be interested in this. Yeah, yeah. this gets right. I, I think we, you know we we forget how much of current technology and some of the stuff we do comes out of um, you know comes out of places like Yahoo, right? People that we you know that some people tend to you know deride a little bit now um, as you know as not as influential, but it still has huge influence over some of the technologies that we build. It does. And uh, the interesting thing about Vespa in particular, I think, is that 
Um, right now, probably if you're going to go and build a search capability or integrate a search capability into your site, you're likely to look at, at um, products like Elasticsearch uh, because they're very well known. But I think people don't really realize how much production use Vespa has really got um, out of Yahoo, out of the whole range of, of Yahoo brands that it has powered. Um, it's, it's, it's a massive product with, with, has had a long history. Um, so it was originally, um, it was, a Norway, it was built, um, originally it came from a Norwegian search engine um, called All the Web, which Yahoo bought in 2003. Um, obviously, it's, it's um, been proven tech for decades at Yahoo, and it's kept up with sort of modern drivers of modern search technologies. Um, but I remember back in, it was 2007, um, shortly after I joined there, when um, Flickr was starting to get really, really popular, and Vespa was powering the search capabilities of Flickr. And that was around the time when I think the iPhone started to become really, really popular, particularly for photos. And Flickr was really interesting, right? Because it was one of the first sort of social networks um, with very, very high kind of write volumes. People would be um, uploading photos and then tagging their photos uh, and searching them and looking at their friends' tags. And they expect when they make changes like that, comments and likes and tags on, on photos that they ap appear instantly. Um, and that, that created a, a, that was a very, very tough engineering challenge for the, for the Vesper engineers because they had very, very high write volumes that uh, they expected, users expected to see instantly. Um, so that, that actually drove a feature um, that not many search engines support these days, um, true partial updates. So if you, if you update a document, you can update just a portion of it um, which, for example, Lucene-based engines, uh, I don't believe they currently support. So you end up with incredibly high write performance um, in, in this Vespa technology. Um, obviously, what I've built, it doesn't, it's got low traffic, um, but I wanted to showcase it as a sort of um, capability that could easily scale out to this, the, the type of um, scale that large news corporations might require. I think it's a great... Using Flickr as a is a great example is a great example there too, right? Because it's, you know, it's not Google Photos or you know or any of the ones that you know a lot of people use, but it's so important in the photography community. Uh, and I think you do, and I, I, I guess I'd ask you this: Do you start to are you starting to see? And is one of the reasons that you that you built this aggregator are people uh, and developers starting to look at? alternatives are we have we hit a point that people are looking at alternatives to some of the larger more established technologies and build technologies that are out there like you mentioned elastic yeah i think they are elastics hit a bit of a it's a it's a good point for people to start looking at other other search capabilities in particular because now there's different there's different forks of elastic amazon um obviously forked it and and sort of building out their own capabilities and diverging a bit um, and it might not always fulfill the, the sort of use cases that um, your site really requires. So, for example, I think a really good example is if if you've got high high uh, if you need high performance writes and reads at the same time. If you need to scale up and down um, very quickly, then uh, Vesper is a really good one to look at. Uh, Vesper will automatically scale your content nodes, for example. So, um, for example, I'm, I've I've deployed my application on Kubernetes. And if I need, if I feel like I need to add 
con- more space for content, then I can um, scale up the Kubernetes cluster and scale up the content nodes within Vespa. And Vespa will take care of all of the of everything. It will redistribute content across the nodes. Uh, you don't have to think about sharding or anything like that. It just takes takes care of it on its own. Um, you can you can specify how much redundancy you want, which works very well um, with modern um, uh, deployment practices as well, like Kubernetes. So, for example, if you scale your content nodes um, and combine that with Kubernetes concept of pod affinity, then you um, tell uh, Vespa that you want specific amount of redundancy, uh, and suddenly you have your content um, safe across distributed across multiple nodes. Uh, without any issues, so I feel like there's and a sorry. Oh no, keep going. No, I feel like the the capability that that although Vespa has been around for a long time now, the capabilities that it provides really really lend itself to modern uh, architectures on search. And you were part of the, if I recall correctly, you were part of um, Linode's uh, Linode Kubernetes engines. Uh, beta program, correct? Yeah, that's right. Uh, I, I, I had a bit of a, a, a play around with, with it back uh, when it was in the, part of the Greenlight program. And I just I built a simple, uh, it was a Swift backend application, just a bit of a toy. Um, but I didn't really have a strong use case for it back then. But then when I uh, built this one out, I originally actually deployed it to um, uh, Google Cloud um, because the $300 uh the free credit was quite enticing to someone who was just powering this on my own budget. So mm-hmm. I ran it for about a month on that, but I discovered that that $300 on, on Google Cloud wouldn't get me nearly as far as that same amount of money would get me on Linode. Um, the The cost of even just a control plane is, is substantial when I'm trying to run it on a very, very small budget. So on Linode, that's, that's free. Um, and I was very, very obvious and can understand the costs very, very easily. So after a month or so, I ended up doing a full migration of the application off um, off Google Cloud onto Linode. Um, the whole thing took less than a day, um, including migrating all of the data. Um, and I've been running it on Linode ever since. Uh, that would have been about in April this year or so. Um, and it's been running without a hiccup since then on Linode. Nice. And the migration went, migration went well. That's always a, I know that's always a touchy subject in in our world, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. It was pretty straightforward. I I just I so the way that the application runs is that it has one component that's just a static site, which gets deployed to GitHub Pages, uh, and it's have CNAME that to oznews.org. Um, so I created a couple of new CNAMEs on Linode to point to after I deployed it to. Po- um, I span up the new Kubernetes cluster on Linode with with my application on it, um, with with new C names. Um, then I dumped all of the data from the old uh, deployment into the Linode deployment, uh, and then just switched over the site to be pointing at the new new C, no- C names for the search backend, uh, and that went really smoothly. So it was it was it was very trivial. The way the the way the app is architected, it doesn't really matter if I've Got this the crawlers, for example, of running um, while it's while it's serving reads as well. So there really wasn't an issue with with migration there. It's quite quite easy to do um, quite quickly. What are some of the ch- 
What are some of the challenges you faced as you as you were building it? Obviously, you know, cost and you know, cost was a was a big one for you. How much was you know? Perf- did you give up any performance when you when you moved over when you moved over? Uh, I know we've seen we've seen benchmarks that um, you know that show that a lot of the um, alternative cloud players, uh, you know, us, Vulture, Do, you know, tend to deliver a little bit better price performance than some of the the hyperscale that larger hyperscale yeah I, I was expecting to see a little little bit of a hit i've got i've got both with linode's great because there's a sydney data center i'm, I'm australian obviously in sydney so i really wanted to de- deploy an australian site local to australia um and i had done a whole lot of performance benchmarking when i was running on on google so I, cloud so i had some idea of what what i might expect um, using the Linode services, and I, I on Linode, I just use the standard Linode um, setup. So I haven't done anything special there. And Vespa is extremely high performing. So the type of queries that I run, uh, the the search on was were, the search, they were returning results in under twenty milliseconds for most of my queries. Uh, after I ran, after I migrated to Linode, that was one of the first things I did was run the same benchmarks, and I saw absolutely no difference. Um, this, the same search results return in still under 20 milliseconds. Um, I've got everything. I've got a good um, performance monitoring um, running uh, the whole Grafina um, setup, Prometheus setup, um, and it's. I, I didn't notice any difference in the, in the stats at all, um, which was really good to see. Um, I was expect, expecting some. I, I thought there must be some kind of difference, but not seeing any was uh, made me quite pleased. <laughs> Yeah, that Sydney data center. When we when we open that, uh, that's a that is a that is a popular one with Australian developers. It is. Uh, it was nice to nice to have that over there. Yeah, it's really good, and I think it was. Um, I think when the Kubernetes beta was launched, it was it was mixed. It was in the mix there as well, that, which is why I jumped on it because I was really ha- really pleased to see a a cloud provider uh, having a data center in Sydney that supported um, Kubernetes. Uh, Australia's been, Australia's been having a uh, a bit of a uh, good run, a really nice run with uh, with startup with technology startups over the last couple of years, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Australia tech communities it's quite it's quite big, um, heavily based in both Sydney and Melbourne. It's it's a really good community. Yeah, I did work early in my career with um, with the uh, the poster children for. Uh, for Australian tech, uh, the folks find folks over at Atlassian. Must be Atlassian, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're a good company as much as as much as people. Uh, uh, I'm sure almost every developer in the world must have touched Jira at some point. Yeah, and those of us who aren't developers have touched Jira too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> for better, for better, or for worse. <laughs> uh, so the, um, you know. Talk if you could talk a little bit more about why you moved over to um, to Linode. Um, you know what sort of you know how did you hear about Linode? I guess is the is that's one of the things that we hear a lot. Is like how did you hear about Linode? Because we're not as we're not necessarily as name you know a name brand like AWS. Yeah, I, I've been using Linode since two thousand and seven when I was much younger had, and had time to, for example, thought it was a great idea to run my own mail server and things like that. Um, so I've been a long-time customer, um, and that, like I've had my, that that personal Linode just humming away for a really long time. So I've, been, I've always kind of paid attention to what's going on. Read the read blog.linode.com and 
and sort of kept kept an eye on it. And I think as I when I saw that the Kubernetes offering was available, I thought, well, this is something I it just been niggling in my mind that it was something I really wanted to try out uh, for quite a long time. Um, so yeah, when I had the opportunity to deploy a sort of personal application on it, I, I jumped. And I think and we sorry. It's one of the things we see a lot um, that we see a lot with um, customers over the years and with developers over the years is they fi- they find that Linode is a great place to uh, you know a great platform to to start building on right and we see a lot of we see a lot of folks in large enterprises that work pro- personal projects on here or even we research <laughs> research and development teams from large companies because it is it is such a such an open platform and it gives them you know I use the word control because it gives them control over over it and they can you know and they can try stuff out yeah definitely i think and especially with technologies such as kubernetes in support of that um, it really lends itself to that kind of quick proof of concept um, low cost, um, get something out there quickly. And I think it's uh, if you've built something on Linode and then suddenly you realize that you need you you, you want to um, integrate with some of the capabilities of some of the larger cloud providers, then it's easy enough to do so. Um, but if you've got a, a an application, you do, or, or if you if you've got a strategy around multi cloud, then Linode is a really really good one to look at. Um, because of the cost, because of the ease of use, and because of things like Kubernetes that allow, it, it's quite quite easy to allow for migrating workloads from from one uh, cloud provider to another. Yeah, I get into a number of Twitter threads with folks on uh, the the great debate around multi cloud, uh, and the you know the reality is we see it we see it every day, just like you were saying where. You know, an alternative cloud provider like a Linode, uh, we're seeing we're seeing multi cloud engagements, just like you were saying. Now, are we you know are we going to be the first every time, uh, the primary? Not necessarily, uh, but when you are a when you are a large enterprise and you are looking at multi cloud, you are like, hmm, am I going to put it? Am I going to move? my AWS workload over to Google or Microsoft, which is just the same thing, or am I going to look for something that's a little bit better, less competitive fit for me? Yeah, it's a really, really interesting one, right? And I would I would say that if I was doing that and I was going, had a, wanted a multi-cloud strategy, then it's useful to, to choose Linode as, as the first choice because you it's much harder to get yourself locked in. Um, if you look at Atlassian, for example, they they go, okay, we are we are an AWS shop. We're going to trust that Amazon has built all of this technology that we want to we want to build on top of. So they don't try and abstract things. They, I'm sure they use things like DynamoDB and and all of their queuing services. And they just they just have zero abstraction. And if they ever wanted to migrate away from Amazon, it would be next to impossible. Um, and that's that's a strat- That's there's nothing wrong with that strategy, right? That might be that might be a good one that. That, that you might choose, but if you have a requirement that you really want to support multi-cloud, um, and you don't want to get locked into those other types of services, and you're building pure tech that doesn't doesn't um, stand on top of things like DynamoDB and all of that, and, and some Google Cloud um, applications as well, then Linode is a really good choice because if you, for example, build out a 
Kubernetes application, um, then you can put all your open source tooling in that. You can put all your database mechanisms mechanisms in that and build it out in a way that you are sure is going to be cloud agnostic um, and, and quite easy to migrate to and from other cloud environments. So it de- like depending on, on what, if, if you're a startup and you're trying to decide whether you, whether you want to go um, lock yourself into one, one cloud company and go, okay, we're just going to, we're going to, uh, get all the advantages of this cloud provider, but we're going to lock ourselves into it. Um, or if you're saying, okay, we want to be completely cloud agnostic, then I think Linode, if you're doing the latter, then Linode is a really good really good one to look at because it does have I don't know, block storage and Kubernetes and stuff that's, that's, that is really, really good building blocks for, for that type of thinking. Yeah, I mean, it gets down to, you know, what's the, what's the best fit for your business, right? So somebody that's, you know, a massive, massive multinational corporation, right? We're talking huge, right? They're going to go, you know, they're, they're rightly probably going to go all in on, on AWS. Um, they're for, let's call it 80% of the business going back to the early, early web days, right? For 80% of companies out there, it's probably not a good fit. It's just like you saw when you ran into the, you know, into the credits, right? It's like, ah, I'm suckered in with the, with the yeah. 300 bucks. Like it looks great. And then you realize like, ah, that's probably a little bit overkill. And also I'm stuck now. Uh, and, uh, you know, and there's probably, you know, let's take a look around and see if there's something that fits my business better, or at least my project better. Uh, and, you know, and, and for, for you, you know, for something like what you were building also, and we see it, we're hearing it a lot more is there becomes a trust issue, right? A, tr- a, a trust consideration on if I build this, <laughs> Are they going to move into my into my industry? Are they going to, if I built if I built this, um, you know, if I built this, uh, you know, this feature or this product, am I going to see it up on stage announced at reInvent under a different name yeah. by a different company? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, like, we we see that a lot. We've been in business for what eighteen years now, and it's people. There's a there's there's trust. Right there's there's a we're not going to compete against you uh, mentality. Yeah, I I, I think it's a, definitely a plus. I think, I mean, it, it depends a lot on your industry as as you've mm-hmm. as you've called out. Some companies might have regulatory or compliance reasons around having multi cloud strategies, and some might not. And if if you really if you really want to know that you own your own technologies and that you don't have dependencies that might suddenly in, increase cost or suddenly might blow out in some way that you're not expecting. Um, then it's then it's a good, probably a good choice to go with your okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna build using using open technologies from scratch. Yeah, yeah. Complexity complexity and cost are two of the big ones, and we're seeing that become even more uh, prominent in conversations and engagements. Uh, you know, just one, just overly complex, almost by design. Uh, to get you locked into an ecosystem, and then you know from cost, if you follow Corey Quinn at all, uh, yep. Pig on, yep. on Twitter, right? I mean, there's a whole business around the complexity and the vagaries of, you know, of something like an AWS, uh, cost, uh, that the way that you not being able to plan for it really. Absolutely. I saw that even with my, so my, my project's not trivial. It has four or five, six different components to it. But even with, with Google cloud, for example, when I was, when I was playing around with Kubernetes, I, I mean, I'm in the Kubernetes section of, of Google cloud and I, and I create a new cluster, right? That spins up a bunch of nodes. I 
deploy something to it that has uh, persistent volumes, for example. Um, then in, in the Kubernetes section of Google Cloud, I delete my entire cluster. And I've never navigated to any other section of Google Cloud, right? But what happens is you have your persistent volume storage volumes are still there. And you, unless you navigate into around into sections um, of, of the Google Cloud console that you've never, ever been to before, you won't know that until you see your bill that still has all of this stuff on it that's still running that you think you assumed we would have deleted as you've as you've torn down your entire cluster from the from the kubernetes console so it's definitely complex i can, can completely understand why there's entire businesses and and almost industries around managing cloud cost um, whereas with linode is super simple there's there's no way i could get surprise surprise costs out of out of what i've done there um, even with the amount of components that I've deployed into my Kubernetes cluster, I know exactly what's going to. I know exactly how much I'm going to pay every month. So, where do you go with this news aggregator next? Are we going to Are we going to start seeing that all over the place? Be the <laughs> well, I don't know. It's, it's, it's really just a, it started as, uh, off as a sort of proof of concept thing. Um, I've had indexing articles since or early this year, so it's, it's got about almost two hundred thousand indexed articles, um, which isn't massive, but it's it's not nothing. Um, I right now, it, if you if you go to the site, you can see that it's ranking articles, um, recent articles, and grouping topics and things. Um, it would be great to have it to to feed more types of signals in there. So one one of my concepts from this this product was that I didn't want it to be privacy invading at all. So as a user, when you click around the site, it doesn't record your clicks, it doesn't log anything. So it needs some other method to rank news articles other than click popularity, right? So what what, it, what one of the components does is it searches around, it searches news articles linked on Twitter. Um, so it kind of gets the engagement on social media. And so it's got this this component that's constantly running and, and feeding those signals from um, social media into the uh, news article document. And it uses those, for example, retweets and likes and things, and it feeds that into the ranking um, mechanism. Um, so it would be really great, I think, to add some additional signal types into into the into the ranking profiles for the news articles um, instead of just pure social media, because um, social media is really interesting in the way it, way it generates and uh, news. Um, controversial news items will get much, much, much more engagement than um, what you might think of as traditional high quality um, investigative journalism, for example. Um, so I think it, I think I've been, I've been having some thoughts around what types of signals I can feed into it that aren't aren't easily gamed as well, um, because I want it I want it to be fairly immune from search engine optimization gaming type mechanisms. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've had some thoughts around around some additions there. Um, I, just, I, I, I haven't had too much time to think about what what where to go next, but that's probably part of it. I sense a conversation with you and Marshall Kirkpatrick happening yeah. very soon. Uh, yeah, uh, since he and he and uh, Richard McManus from the old Read Write Web days. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, back on back on your back on your island. Um, so, what we haven't done yet, what, as we're coming to the end, where can people find this, and what are your details? That, we, that they can start to follow you because you're doing some amazing stuff. Oh, yeah. So you can, if you go to www.oznews.org, A-U-S-N-E-W-S.org, uh, it's right there. There's a link there. to The, the entire thing is open source. Um, it's all on GitHub. 
you can see how it, it, all of the GitHub um, integration with with the Linode Kubernetes stuff works. Um, it does auto deployments there, um, and you can find me on on Twitter um, at wabzqem. Um, Great. Richard, thanks so much for uh, for joining us today uh, and participating in the Craft of Code podcast. It was an amazing story, and I hope everybody goes and checks out the aggregator that you have built and follows you on Twitter because you're doing some amazing you're doing some amazing work. Uh, so thank you so much. Uh, thanks, Mike. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Craft of Code. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did. Please subscribe to make sure you're the first to hear when we release future episodes. And we'd love it if you left a review. 